Welcome to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. It's your call for the best college football coverage. From National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between, CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. Um, what lo, Long time going. We're out here. We're getting our uh, our spring legs going. Barton Simmons, Chip Patterson. Uh, Barton, man, how you been? Chip, I've been good. I actually fresh off of a, a little mini vacation. Uh, doesn't happen very much. We were, we were down in Rosemary Beach. Me, the wife, the two girls, and... That's our, I think our first ever like foursome family vacation, just with no no grandparents, nothing, uh, all on our own. We were tasked with with trying to have fun and keeping two, three and unders alive, and we came out we came out on top. We did it. We made it. <laughs> it's just being able to be at the beach. And uh, were there any at least like minor injuries? Um, there's always a few minor injuries scouts scouts a climber but no all this was about to go down there and take a couple pictures on the sand and say you did it and then you know it doesn't matter how hard it was getting there leaving or staying just you know he's got to have that picture for the old family uh, photo album down the road what what's more important than the photo right <laughs> that's right that's right <laughs> well uh, you're you're in basketball you're, you're this is going to be a little bit of a i'm, I'm going to push you at push you out of your comfort zone a little bit since you've been in, in basketball and like golf mode right now big time basketball mode i i mean do you, do you need any we're, we're recording here by the way on february 21st and uh i've been up talking about zion williamson on cbs sports hq for about two hours and we're not even at 10 a.m yet <laughs> this this injury is gonna be um overanalyzed for the next how, when's the nba draft june um, June. Oh, we got till June to talk about this thing. Nice. Uh, I was I was already put on. A, I was already uh, planning to go cover ACC tournament in Charlotte, uh, first round in Columbia, and the East Regional Sweet Sixteen and Elite Eight in Washington D.C. and uh, And I was put on alert that uh, we're we're on just a regular, just standard issue five alarm Zion watch. If we think Zion is making his return, Chip get to Durham kind of status. Got to be on Zion. Called Zion rules college basketball right now. Absolutely ruled rules the game of basketball. How many one name superstars are there in basketball? Is there a Zion in college football for twenty nineteen? Like, is there a? Oh yeah, absolutely. A, His name's Trevor Lawrence two, or Tua. Tua's the one name superstar too. Yeah, he's got a little bit of that in him. He Trevor's does. got the juice right now because he just won it. Tua or Trevor is actually the one name superstar battle. <laughs> yeah. There can only yeah. be one That's one right. name superstar. I was brainstorming some uh, some podcast ideas with our uh, friend and uh, Locks partner, frequent contributor to the Cover Three podcast, Tom Fernelli. And I mean, he was. We were joking that we could basically do a weekly Tua or Trevor, who you got, and it would probably pop. A weekly Tua or Trevor, who you got. Like and, who's going to have more passing yards this week? Who's going to oh, have more you. touchdowns? Just, yeah. just, just line them up every single week because we didn't really get the Tua Kyler until the end of the season when uh, when Tua got a little bit banged up and he started to have some of those 
uh, missteps along the way, and you know we covered it extensively here on the podcast. And so, you know, Kyler Murray, who had been statistically excellent throughout the entire season, kind of snuck into it from week one. We're just going to be putting Tua and Trevor against each other every week. Well, and and here's my hope. I'm I am hoping, as a fan of college football and nothing else, I'm hoping that we can add the Trevor Tua or Justin. Who you got? Mm. I'm just I'm I'm kind of you know what I think that there's it's not out of the question that we get Justin Fields into the mix here but we'll you know we'll have to wait and see fantastic segue Barton Simmons it's like you're a podcast <laughs> host as a uh, as a profession um okay so the the goal here in the discussion which I thought was a fun one is to put a bow on the off season, we are about to enter spring ball I know Arizona State was going to be one of the early starts this year in March, we will really be ramping up our coverage to to look at the biggest storylines, uh, the the player, the position battles, everything else. But if if we're gonna put a bow on uh, on the on on the off season, I kind of look at everything as a you know did this program like did that did it get better? Was it overall good or did it did it maybe uh, have some setbacks? Some ones that are gonna be having to to overcome. And as I was trying to figure out, you know, best, worst, winners, losers, it was weird, man. I I think I decided that Clemson was my neutral. Because Clemson, like the players that went to the NFL, for the most part, you're expecting them to go to the NFL. You, do, you weren't dealing with any uh, unexpected departures. You also didn't have anybody coming back that surprised you. So it's not like you had a bonus there. In terms of the coaching carousel, you kept everyone around, so I think that is like a net positive. Uh, you signed another top ten class, but in terms of the class, it was about you know on average. You every college football program wants to get better, and most of the programs that we're going to be talking about here, I'm pretty sure, are big name programs. It, what, what do you think about that, Barton? I will argue that in our scale of plus and minus, in a net zero slash slash shade plus. I almost had Clemson in the middle of my scale. Yeah, I, I, I well, I had them. Uh, yes, I agree. They were neutral, and if you're neutral as the best team in college football, that's pretty good, right? Like, yeah, I mean, it, it's 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 a classic Clemson offseason. They their whole coaching staff is retained. I mean, uh, how many times do you win a national championship and no one leaves for a better opportunity? Um, that's not, that doesn't happen very often. And, and, and yes, they're going to lose some guys in the NFL draft, but those guys were sort of staying longer than we anticipated anyways. But the next guys up are really good. The, there's all these sophomores or freshmen that are, uh, taking the next step. And so, I mean, this is going to be a, uh, this is going to be a loaded team. I actually, by Clemson standards, I thought their recruiting class was relatively underwhelming, but Clemson is the type of team that you don't – I mean, they, they take guys that I'm a little bit underwhelmed with and turn them into Ben Bullwares. And so I'm not, I'm not necessarily – that's not even a knock on, right. on you know, their, their class this year. It's just sort of, all right, it's a typical Clemson class, some no-doubt five-star types, some guys that I'm surprised they took, but guys that – will probably end up being really good for him. So yes, net neutral and 
that's a really good thing for Clemson. Um, all right, so let we're you let's go program by program. That'll be uh, easy to identify for for fans that might want to skip around, and we'll uh, we'll sort of judge our our ranking on that. So where where do you want to go next? Well, we could. I mean, I think we could go Alabama next. Ooh, I said, I okay. What was your what was your sort of grading here? Well, I, I just thought it was really interesting to watch the way. Alabama reloaded from a coaching staff standpoint sure um, because there was so much turnover and I, I think it like last year at this time the rhetoric was uh, you know Nick Saban number five recruiting class man he's upgrading his his coaching staff he's running some of his old guys out and and, and getting some new blood that are going to go and be aggressive on the recruiting trail and get number one recruiting class and yada 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 uh which he did and you know maybe it was because of the the, the retooling of the coaching staff but now in like in retrospect you know there's people saying oh like you know he he went too much into recruiting and not enough into coaching and that staff was um you know, had its flaws and now he's got to retool once again. And I just, I just don't know if either of them are, are, are fully true. I just think Nick Saban just, it's hard to work for Saban. It's, uh, I mean, clearly Dan Enos just wanted to work somewhere else. Um, I, I, Josh Gaddis took a new, new opportunity. Uh, I think Saban ran a couple of the guys out probably, but at the same time, this is just the life as Nick Saban, and it's what is part of what makes him so good is just sort of constant new ideas, constant new faces. Um, so I don't necessarily think that last season's coaching staff was flawed, but I did think it was interesting in sort of the the way he went, and and I just sort of looked at it position by position, coach by coach, sort of, and and I, I looked at the staff as a slight upgrade wow okay last year but at the end of the day break it down tell me if you agree so i think pete golding from co-dc to dc is an upgrade over tosh lapoy um he was sort of the behind the operation last year but now he gets the keys to the car fully and uh he's supposed to be the next kirby smart like he's he's a star so i think that's an upgrade steve sarkeesian the offensive coordinator from Mike Loxley, I think at worst you're calling that a push. Um, you're probably calling that only a push because of what Loxley brought to the recruiting side of things, particularly in the D.C. area, uh, the DMV area. So I'll just call that a push, uh, though I think you could argue it's an upgrade. Like let's we've talked about the Sarkeesian thing. You know, don't let the Atlanta Falcons haters fool you. Like this is still. If if you know Mike Loxley just won the the Broyles Award, and and he was a pretty down and out coach when he arrived at Alabama. I mean, Sar- Sarkeesian is a guy like this is still a coach that was the head coach at USC in Washington, and is the offensive coordinator of the Falcons before coming to to Alabama. Like this guy's not a scrub. Uh, Brian Baker, Craig Kuligowski. I don't know. Uh, Brian Baker came from Mississippi State. Craig Kuligowski is the same guy that that produced all those first rounders out of Missouri. Yep. Uh, I you know, a, it it a, the buzz is maybe Kuligowski is was not you know getting it done to Saban's liking, but I don't you know I don't know that Brian Baker necessarily is 
is a no-brainer there. I mean, he's got a lot of NFL background um, and is you know they're a good defense at Mississippi State, but you know they were loaded talent-wise. So I think you call that a push without really knowing Brian Baker's what Brian Baker's going to do. I think Brent Key to Kyle Flood, as good as Brent Key was, particularly as a recruiter, you probably call that an upgrade because Kyle Flood. You know, NFL head coach background, he can get you into a new territory in the Northeast from a recruiting standpoint. Um, Charles Huff is probably an upgrade from Joe Panunzio at the running back position, but Panunzio was a killer in South Florida on recruiting. So that's a little bit of a only slight upgrade. I think Tosh Lupoy to South Sanceri is a downgrade only because Tosh Lupoy is one of the best recruiters in college football. I think Josh Gaddis to Holman Wiggins at receivers coach is a downgrade because I think Josh Gaddis is one of the best receivers coach in college football. Even if Holman Wiggins is who came back, even if he is good, uh, it's hard for me to believe he's just out of the box better than Gaddis. And then Dan Enos, uh, I guess you know we're calling his replacement Charles Kelly, who's going to the defensive side of the ball. But I mean, I would call that a slight downgrade too, only because Dan Enos was developing quite the reputation on the offensive side of the ball. So it looks like Saban is, is influencing defense more in terms of the balance of the staff. So all that said, I think it's only a slightly better staff, but it's you could call it a push. And, uh, you know, they did have the number one recruiting class. They hadn't been beat up too bad on, in the transfer portal. So I had them sort of just a slight positive it's so season. it's so funny because like because it's Alabama you have you want to have strong feelings and you're going to end up being swayed uh, more. But I I I look at this and it's so funny that I'm I'm on the exact opposite side where it's like yes there is like the the recruiting bounce back from last year is very significant and to be able to to lock in a class of. Uh, the top talent that is clearly just committing to Nick Saban because you're doing this in the midst of all the staff turnover. And it's like, no, uh, these players want to come to Alabama because they want to play for Nick Saban. The fact that you can keep the recruiting monster going, even with uh, assistant turnover, like, you know, generally positive, but I'm, I'm Alabama net negative And I just like being real quick about it. Uh, Charles Kelly, Sal Sinceri, Kyle Flood, um, uninspiring do do not circle those and be like "Ooh, hungry coach coach on the rise like those are pro coaches and, and steve sarkeesian is a pro coach i think that he might bring um i think he might bring a little bit of energy or uh i think he might bring something a little extra considering the you know brief time that he spent the the way that the, his his short stint as offensive coordinator went against clemson after Lane Kiffin left, I could see Steve Sarkeesian being an upgrade from Mike Loxley with the exception of the recruiting angle that you mentioned. But I, I look at the staff and it feels like a bunch of retreads and a bunch of retreads kind of feel like an NFL staff. And and when you've got that, I think about, um, you know, not, not the re-education process because Nick Saban, as you mentioned, is always down to new ideas. But just the idea that you got a bunch of lifers coming through there. I just think that there is a there's going to be some kind of disconnect that might not be there if you were a little bit younger and a little bit hungrier. See, I, I okay, like I, I think that, that that was calculated by Saban. All right, he got 
he went with the young life, the young, um, ambitious, want to be a head coach guys, and he gets one year with them. And Josh Gaddis is off to be offensive coordinator at Michigan. Dan Enos goes down to Miami to be an offensive coordinator. Mike Loxley's off to a head coaching job. Like you've got all these guys who are just they're in there serving their time, getting Nick Saban on their resume so they can go on to the next gig. Whereas, okay, now what he's done is like when you look at back at like you know 2015 Alabama or what what was it 2011 or something maybe when they won the national championship and a, a lot of the like the guys Nick Saban is is successful with on staff is when he's got like Burton Burns as his running backs coach who's not trying to go anywhere but be his his dog recruiter in Louisiana and coach the hell out of his running back. Saban's and, trying to build out a Clemson staff for his final years as a head coach. Well, I mean, a lot of, some of these guys are guys he's worked with before. Right. I mean, Sal Sinceri, like Sal Sinceri is, he's a Nick Saban soldier. You for know? sure. Um, you know, like, <laughs> I'm, I, you know, I think that Pete Golding looks like the type of guy that could be just like his Kirby Smart. Like, well, I don't, I don't know what Pete Golding's dream job is, but maybe he sticks around for a while. You know, I think, uh, I, I, Charles Kelly is another like just sort of classic Nick Saban kind of. He knows, you know, he he understands how to work for a guy like Nick Saban, and he's going to go in there, and you don't have to re-coach him, retrain him. You just you got you got one of your soldiers in there, and I just think Nick Saban needed some soldiers to just steady the ship, and so I, I, it wasn't necessarily about like winning the press conference with these hires. I think it was more about getting a staff that was. Um, just sort of had the right makeup for Nick Saban. Uh, you know, a Lance Thompson, Burton Burns, you know, Bobby Williams type of group that is just old heads that know how he operates. And um, so I, so in a way, so what you're calling a uh, kind of a negative, I, I think is actually a positive. Right. I know. That's what's so fun about this is because yeah. like we're looking at the, I mean, we are looking at the exact same thing and it's the optical illusion thing, right? Like I'm seeing a sailboat and you're seeing a mountain. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> um, and you know, and the only thing that's going to, prove right or wrong one way or the other is going to be to see how this how this team looks and how they survive yet another season of being under the intense scrutiny of an Alabama football team so and, and by the way can I state a very early like belief that this is could be a a real like a a badass on a mission Alabama team considering the way they like the way they lost in and they're going to have all off season to use that to motivate them. Nick Saban is going to push on that wound all off season, and the 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 sophomore class now going to be juniors. That is the second highest rated recruiting class of all time. Um, that group is now you know got that taste in their mouth. They're just they're wanting the the. You know, there just wasn't the feel for that team last year. I think the leadership maybe wasn't there quite like we've seen it in the past, and now maybe this sophomore class steps forward and takes that leadership role. I don't know. I just think that there's going to be a lot of people sort of writing off the Alabama dynasty after the way they lost to Clemson. I I, I think that's a probably going to be um, misguided. I, I think Alabama probably wins the national championship next year. Um, all right. The team that I had at the top of my list, 
I mean, literally on, on my Google Doc right now, the first line says great, the last line says terrible, and we've just got teams in between it. It's a scale. Number one, the best offseason, in my opinion, is the Oklahoma Sooners. And I, I, I've got a couple that are close, but I don't know if anybody's going to be able to top um, the my bullet points here. Number one, obviously, Jalen Hurts. Uh, which makes, you know, can Lincoln do it again and, and everything else there. One of the most intriguing stories going into the t- 2019 season for Oklahoma in the offseason. I think Kyler going to the NFL is a positive because that only increases the the brand, the strength, the reputation of Lincoln Riley, the reach of this Oklahoma football program. Uh, there is some amount of bonus that Oklahoma gets from Kyler deciding to go to the NFL that I don't think would be there if Kyler goes to Major League Baseball and does not enter the NFL draft. And then the other thing that I had as my big bullet point is uh, is Alex Grinch, where I'm like, oh, man, and, and now you've got uh, – one of the best rising stars in terms of the defensive side of the ball. So I, I I'm guessing that you're probably positive on Oklahoma too, but I'll, I'll frame it as this. I don't know if there's anybody, any other team that can say they've had a better off season than the Oklahoma Sooners. No, I'm with you. I, I, and I, I would, I wouldn't argue with that. I, I think on the Kyler Murray thing, like if he goes plays and plays baseball, whatever, you got a Heisman trophy winner as your last quarterback. And that's, still a great resume uh addition bullet point it's it's something you're gonna you know you're gonna be able to show recruits that heisman trophy for as as long as you're around but for him to now choose to to play in the nfl he's gonna be a first round draft pick he's gonna by the way like slight kyler murray tangent but i mean you remember last year how baker mayfield this is we're about this point last year we were just starting to have this conversation with, oh, like Baker Mayfield looks like he's – I mean, he's a first-rounder now probably. And and we still weren't – no one was sniffing number one overall. And I just think the more we talk about this, the closer we get to the draft, the more Kyler Murray is going to start emerging as the like the number one quarterback. Um, because it's just it, – it, it's it, people are going to try to pick him apart and try to pick apart his size – and we're going to circle around to, well, look how good he was. And I, I bet you he's the first quarterback off the board. Just just without even knowing the needs, without even knowing who's up, without even knowing who the, who's, who's the GMs are, like, I bet you that Kyler Murray rounds into the top quarterback taken by the time the draft rolls around. So, yes, I'm with you there. Jalen Hurts is, is the perfect addition to that team, not only from a skill set standpoint, but from a – I mean, he, he adds leadership at the quarterback position. Like, what they're going to be asking, I, guess, I mean, I don't know what, you know, Tanner Mordecai was, was bringing to the table from a leadership standpoint, but, you know, Spencer Rattler, the true freshman quarterback, he could have battled for a starting job probably if he had enrolled as a, at the midterm. But, you know, you can't ask for a freshman to lead that, that crew and, 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 and feel confident in what's going to happen. I think Jalen Hurts comes in there, immediately wins the team, and, and they're they're just good. I mean, they're they're just set on offense. <laughs> you know. Yes, and, yes. I'm right there with you. It's like, oh, well, J- Jalen Hurts. Like we've we've gotten to spend some time around this Alabama team this season. Like Jalen Hurts is the most no nonsense, take care of your business, like clear eyed, unfazed, um, 
like he's just mature. He's just he is incre- he he seems to me to be incredibly mature and if he is excited about this opportunity and early returns say that he w- is uh, he can he can lead Oklahoma to a national championship. Did you see the the clip that was floating around Twitter on weight elsewhere? room? Well, not even that. That was yeah, I mean, he was whatever squatting 600 pounds or something and, and everyone was fired up, but I'm talking about when he first arrived there. He might have even been a I can't remember if he, if he was already there or he may have even been a, a, a like a visitor before he decided. He was sitting at a basketball game and there was a line like literally he was like sitting in the aisle seat on the the lower bowl or whatever and there was a line in the aisleway up to like the the whatever the um hallway at the top like the entryway the tunnel into the 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 stands of just like a single file line of people waiting to just get selfies with them like oklahoma and i mean that dude is a is is a celebrity and like loved in that place like i've never seen anything like that i I don't know whether that's you know whether i've been missing it but that that was remarkable to me so he's got that place on lock. He's already won it over. It, it's you know, and I think Lincoln Riley's going to cater that offense to be perfect for him, and and he's going to really kill it. I mean, I, I legitimately believe we could be see, we could see three straight Heisman Trophy winners. Like I, I I think there's that opportunity there for sure. And then when you look at Alex Grinch, what he brings, I mean, he truly is. I think the the, the what they needed at, at, at defensive coordinator. He brings in Roy Manning and Brian Odom, a couple of uh, defensive assistants that I think can can help get things turned around there. You know, they've had a little bit of transfer portal action, but for the most part, like Alex Grinch is a guy that's going to be able to scheme things up. He, he's complimented uh, air raid type of offense well before with Mike Leach at Washington State. He's... You know he's used to playing with guys that are not as talented and has had success with them. I, I I bet he'll be okay with talented guys too. And I and I do believe Oklahoma has talented players on defense. They've just not been well coached and they've not been they've not have not been disciplined. And so I I think they got a chance to be really good on defense. And on your Kyler Murray point, um, where I mean it's it's not surprising that. Uh, our brains might e- even even as uh, distance has separated us with a little bit of a break here in February after signing day. Uh, I've been filling in a little bit on the NFL podcast pick six doing some NFL draft talk and I made the exact same point. I said look at this time last year we were at the same place with Baker Mayfield that we are with Kyler Murray and I just think the more time that you spend watching Oklahoma highlights you can't help yourself. Like you, that you watch it over and over, and you study more and more, and you're like, I, 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 I don't see any reason why he can't do it at the NFL, and I'm, I'm right, th- like, oh my gosh, and it's Cliff, <laughs> it's Cliff at number one. I mean, he does have Josh Rosen sitting there, mm, but you trade so that, trade that for assets, baby. Do you trade that for assets, or do you, you trade number one? Like that's the, the other thing is, I just think someone's gonna want Kyler Murray so bad. They may be willing to trade up to get him. Um, so, 
Yeah, we've I, I I've seen how this story plays out. <laughs> yes, uh, Kyler uh, Kyler Murray is going to be uh, a high draft pick because you can't help yourself. Like you yeah. just you don't you don't want to you don't want to pass on Kyler Murray for like Jonah Williams. Right. There are like Jonah Williams right. is going Jonah Williams is probably going to be a ten year pro, right? Like he's he's a very very good offensive tackle, but Kyler Murray might be a once in a lifetime type talent. Don't let that go. Yeah, he's being. Was Michael Vick worth what? What was he drafted? Three, two, one. What was he drafted? He was I drafted top three. Okay. Was he worth that pick? Absolutely. Yeah, I think he probably was. Yeah. I mean, even though he, he was, he's not a Hall of Fame quarterback or anything, but he he had some good years. You know, he took he took the Falcons to the Super Bowl, right? Um, didn't win it, but. He, uh, I, I just think if Kyler Murray is Michael Vick, and that's sort of the, been the popular comp, I think you take him and have some exciting years. And whether you know whether he's got the longevity to be your your Ben Roethlisberger or Tom Brady or something, yeah, maybe not. But he's got he's got some exciting years in him before um, you know before teams catch on. Um, all right, your uh, your call. Where do you want to go? I I thought one of the I'm gonna go to Tennessee. So I thought the recruiting class was a success sure. given what they needed to do. They got bigger, tougher, stronger. But I I thought their coaching off season in terms of what they did on the coaching staff was like Jedi mind trick like chess when everyone else is playing checkers like they big boyed the rest of the country on this coaching staff like look th- what they did so first of all I'm, I'm convinced that that Jeremy Pruitt was was trying to maneuver with the help of Philip Fulmer Tyson Helton's exit in some way or the other so he gets a head job great all right our office coordinator just got a head job um, not not a bad look there. Then they go and take Jim Cheney from Georgia. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Which is, I mean, that's straight up like you are taking the offensive coordinator from the East Division champion, our rival, and saying, you know, come on over here. And and that is it. He is like Tyson Helton never felt like what Jeremy Pruitt wanted his office to look like. Jim Cheney is one of the few offensive coordinators out there that is successful. That is doing it in a way that it feels like Jeremy Pruitt wants it done, like a more pro style, uh, physical type of of offensive unit. And so now you got kind of the you know there's a little, there's only like three or four out there that really kind of fit the bill and run the offense the way it seems like Jeremy Pruitt wants it run. So you got that. All right. Well, then you, you sort of ha- you, you make some moves. All right. So Jim Cheney's the offensive coordinator. All right, now T. Martin comes available, who's a, uh, a Tennessee legacy, who's one of the best recruiters in all of college football. And you've got a receivers coach, David Johnson, who's a really good receivers coach, uh, who's a good recruiter in his own right. So how are you going to make this work? All right, you go get T. T. Martin, bring him in to coach receivers. He's a good receivers coach. He's, now he's the pass game coordinator. You move David Johnson to running backs. 
Uh, who was your running backs coach? Well, Chris Winkie. All right, we're going to move Chris Winkie over to the quarterbacks. That's probably where he needs to be anyways. Tyson Helton's gone. He was the quarterbacks coach. Now Chris Winkie is in, in, in place, former Heisman Trophy winner. He's now your quarterbacks coach. And then Charles Kelly goes to Alabama. Okay, that's you know that say, seems like that's a big loss until you go backfill him with Derek Ansley, pull him from the Oakland Raiders where he was doing a good job. He's your new defensive coordinator, great recruiter, star coach, a guy that left Alabama just a year ago, and now and a guy that was didn't leave. I don't think he got run out of town. I think he was a guy that just went to take another opportunity. So you steal a guy from the NFL replace what what is perceived to be a loss in Charles Kelly and basically upgrade it with Derek Ansley. Like, I just think across the board, Jeremy Pruitt crushed it in this assistant coaching carousel to where now this is one of the best, I think, coaching staffs top to bottom in the country. Ooh, nice. I would have to lay it out. I was going to give you SEC, but uh, but I'll I'll take it. I think that first of all, Tennessee had has had big picture uh, nowhere to go but up, right? Like right. the the for Tennessee to to win the off season, uh, Jeremy Pruitt just basically had to do whatever he had in his little spiral notebook of the things, the goals that we want to accomplish. Uh, the only, I mean, and let's see, you get Aubrey Solomon also, and you know we'll see what kind of player Aubrey Solomon is and if he's going to be able to recapture uh the the five-star potential that he had uh, with his rating coming out of high school and i think that as we as we look at the volunteers i i just believe that there's a there's a creeping suspicion that their success and then in in like packed in with that like florida success and i had florida as a a little bit of a positive my main note there being uh that they kept Todd Grantham from the Cincinnati Bengals. You, you sort of keep that group together. I know Grantham was really big in some of those uh, defensive recruiting wins that the Gators had. And, I, man, I've got Georgia shade bad. Because if we're looking at the pecking order and the overall stock of the offseason, I think Tennessee and Florida got better. And I think that if, if there's only but so much pie and in the SEC East, you know, only one team can win it, I think that some of those gains for Florida and Tennessee in terms of the pecking order, I think they are definitively Georgia's losses. I, I agree. I had Georgia slightly down as well. I mean, that's obviously – look, you, you have to bake in that this is a, another recruiting class that is national championship caliber. It's so, number two in the country. Like it, You do right. have to stretch a little bit. Uh, and get into the weeds a little to make Georgia shade uh, bad off season, you know, in, in the in our plus minus, like it is shade minus, but I think it is. Yeah, it, well, it, but it's not. It's not like a trajectory changing off season. It's just you know, if, if it's if we're binary here and we have to pick positive or negative, I think you probably shade it negative only because look, yes, they they lost their offensive coordinator, they lost their defensive coordinator. Justin Fields ships out of town and you know not only are you losing Justin Fields but your depth chart behind Jake Fromm is bad like <laughs> you know you, like I, I I was trying to think of a, a I mean a way to say dog 
dog crap. It's dog crap, I guess. That's the best way to say it. it I mean, you just you just signed a Juco quarterback that was a walk-on two years ago that you know wasn't, you didn't have a scholarship for. And now you're bringing him back and saying, look, you know, we'll – we will give a scholarship to a guy that was once a walk-on because of what your depth is otherwise the quarterback position. So I think that's a that's a little bit troubling. Like they got to keep Jake Fromm healthy. Um, I think James Coley, as good of a recruiter as he is, is probably a slight downgrade at offensive coordinator. I think it's hard to say Dan Lanning at defensive coordinator is an upgrade from Mel Tucker. Dan Lanning is probably a star. I think he's probably a really good defensive coordinator long term, but. In the immediate future, can we confidently say he's he's an upgrade from Mel Tucker? Probably not. Uh, and then they they lost a lot to the NFL draft. They did get a couple transfers in, you know, Ethan Wolf, Lawrence Kazier. I mean, they're they're having some success on that front. But yeah, I just think col- the collective big picture. I'm not sure you you know this other than the recruiting class, which is a big piece of it. I'm not sure you you can really like say that this was a was a home run off season. Justin Fields did make one team's off season uh, pretty pretty good. Uh, we'll talk about that plus uh, some of the programs that suffered some setbacks this off season right after this. Hey guys, this is Brian Campbell, and along with Luke Thomas, we are the hosts of Morning Combat, your one-stop shop for all things combat sports. Every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, we'll hit you up with a brand new episode looking at the biggest headlines in boxing, mixed martial arts, and so much more. That's not to mention bonus content every Tuesday and Thursday, featuring interviews with the biggest names, dissected fight breakdowns, and even a little ridiculousness from time to time. We surely take the fight game seriously, but never ourselves, so why not keep Give us a try for all your combat needs before and after the big fights. It's Morning Combat. Download and subscribe today wherever you consume fine audio. Welcome to the Nothing Personal with David Sampson podcast. Do me a favor and blink, please. Did you blink? That's how fast the Major League Baseball season went in 2020. The postseason is already upon us. Whether it's baseball news, you want NFL, college football, water polo, chess, movies, if there's a story, we'll have it covered every weekday, five days a week. Just subscribe and download on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, or wherever else you find your podcasts. No BS, no soft tosses, no hot takes. You know, it's always business. It's nothing personal. All right, uh, so is there how, – how about this? Um, I'm guessing you have Buckeyes as – the Ohio State Buckeyes as a positive offseason, right? You get a national championship uh, caliber quarterback. You get him immediately eligible. This is like – I I've got some, some deep – some deeper down below the fold things that I might point out, but – I, I have a hard time having uh, negative feelings about the Ohio State offseason. Yeah, I mean, this is good an offseason you can have when you're losing one of the best coaches in the history of the game in Urban Meyer. And yet, I, I actually do think that as a whole, this coaching staff feels improved. I think 
there was some I, – I think you could probably nitpick a little bit on what Urban Meyer had put together in his coaching staff previously. Um, the Greg Schiano out of town is probably a net positive. Just, you know, there was just too many cooks in the kitchen, it felt like. Yes. I, I'm not sure, Alex. Yes. You know, I mean, there was a – you know, the Alex Grinch, Greg Schiano thing didn't seem to be meshing well. The you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of like just former head coaches on the staff. It felt like that were not necessarily falling in line. There was also some look. I mean, the Zach Smith that that whole mess overshadows the the fact that he just probably wasn't that good of a coach to begin with. And I think Brian Hartline is a huge upgrade there at the receiver position. You're getting Yursich at offensive coordinator which I think is a great compliment to Ryan Day uh I you know defensively Greg Madison Al Washington Jeff Half like those I think those are particularly Washington from a recruiting standpoint is a big plus uh Madison is is kind of an old head while Halfley is again a guy that's got a tremendous reputation from the 49ers as a young up-and-coming talent I just think that this is going to be a kind of a fresh, you know, oxygen delivering group for Ohio State, and I, I, it just things feel like they're positive, headed in the right direction. There, it's, it's more of a feel than anything else. It looks cleaner. Like the coat, the the decision making yeah. tree looks cleaner. There's less confusion. There's less. Uh, you mentioned too many cooks in the kitchen. You've you think that there's. Um, a little bit more of almost a unified message. But, and this is, I, I only want to introduce this idea to you um, now. I do not think it was a negative of the offseason overall. I, th- I think Ohio State, it yes, it was a positive offseason, but I think it was a cleansing offseason. You just feel like you've got a, a more clear-eyed yeah. view of what's going on, where this thing is going. Uh, do you believe that the shadow of Urban Meyer lingering around could end up being either A, an issue, or B, at least uh, worthy of being a storyline this year? That's a... I think there's the threat of that. I don't... My initial inclination is that Urban Meyer will be able to... Yeah, I think they'll be able to keep busy enough with this new like leadership class at Ohio State or seminar or whatever he's he's teaching and and you know I'm a, I, the kind of the coach mentoring that they're gonna ask of him or throughout the athletic department my hunch is that he won't meddle too much and he'll let it be Ryan Day's deal but I think there's the threat of that sure I think that's 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 in the realm of possibility uh, but I, I feel like and, – and I think that this was a good statement by Ryan Day to go and sort of not clean house, but get his staff in. You know, I, that didn't really happen with, with Lincoln Riley. No. Remember, I mean, Lincoln Riley basically just kept Bob Stoops' staff almost fully intact. And in retrospect, I think that was a mistake. Um, and this is – you know, Ryan Day has got a group now that is basically his – and I think that's a good sign. And so I'm gonna I'm gonna say I don't expect that to be a problem, but but I I understand the 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 threat, the possibility is there. 
Um, there's a good blueprint, I think, with Bob Stoops in terms of ways that you can still uh, contribute to the program and help the program without being overbearing. That being said, Bob Stoops, uh, even when he was the head coach, had given Lincoln full run of the offense. And we know Urban Meyer uh, loved to have his hands in every single aspect of game planning in a way that many head coaches across the country uh, do not do. I think it's up to Urban Meyer on whether or not this becomes a storyline. You know, if he's the master motivator, the master manipulator, always knows when to push the right buttons, well, maybe his biggest challenge will be uh, knowing how not, knowing to not push the buttons uh, as tempted as he may be. I'm less, I think it's less likely to be an Ohio State problem as it is to be a problem at like somewhere like Kansas State. <laughs> like I just I have a hard time seeing Bill Snyder letting go. I 100% agree with you. <laughs> uh all right, what about the uh what about the rival because this was another one I put all right, I put Michigan right beside Clemson on my scale. But I had a bunch of question marks behind it because I think that there is uh, with with the arrival of Josh Gaddis, with the retooling of the defensive staff, I think that there is, similar to Ohio State, a, a little bit of a, a renewed optimism, a little bit of a sort of fresh, uh, sort of fresh vision for what Michigan potentially could be. But this is the still Jim Harbaugh's team. I I don't feel like it was a bad off season, but I was having trouble sliding it ahead of. Um, you know, an Ohio State or putting it even anywhere close to the conversation with Oklahoma, you know, other other schools, the programs we haven't gotten to yet, like I had Oregon and Texas. I kind of feel like they maybe had better off seasons than Michigan, but I can't I can't make heads or tails of it. It feels like we're even though there was a lot of change, it feels like at the end of the day, we're a little bit neutral, maybe shade positive for the Wolverines. I think the hiring of Gaddis it might like that might be a total failure. Like I just I don't, we don't know, but I think that the step that Jim Harbaugh took there is a positive indicator that he is ready to see that offense evolve, ready to shake things up. I mean, Pep Hamilton's kind of Harbaugh's guy, and Pep Hamilton was shown the door, and they're given the the keys to Josh Gaddis, who. For, I think for the first time, like I don't know that we've heard Jim Harbaugh say this. Like he's saying, it's it's Josh's show, and I don't I don't know that we've heard that before. It's always been this. It's collaborative before that, and now all of a sudden he's saying it's it's Gaddis's show, and I think that that's a that's a positive. It's a, this is a young coach. He's like thirty five. He's he is coached under James Franklin, who's sort of. Uh, West Coast background. He's coached under Joe Moorhead, who is very much spread. He's coached under Danny Nosen, or not under, but with Danny Nosen and Mike Loxley. That that was a very spread RPO offense. Um, I, I think we're going to see a different look from Michigan this year, uh, and that's a good thing. So I just think that higher indicates Harbaugh's willingness to evolve change. We'll see if it, it happens. Um, yeah, beyond that, guys are coming back. Shea Patterson didn't declare for the NFL draft. I think that's that's a good thing for Shea and for Michigan. Um, 
you know, I, I, I thought that the, the defensive coach they hired from Boston College, uh, Campanelli, is one of the best in the country. I mean, what he's done at BC is, is speaks for itself. So that's a, a real value add to their defensive coaching staff. Um, so I, I don't know. I think that's the Gaddis is the big one. And I think more of it's, it's a statement on sort of what Harbaugh envisions for the future and what he wants to where he wants to take Michigan than it is anything else. And so I, I'll, I'll give it, I'll give it a negative, positive, a, 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 a positive with regard to just sort of what, you know, what it indicates, what it, what it means. All right. Where do you want to go next? I think it's, I mean, I think university of Texas is, the, you know, guns are firing right now. Things are clicking. They, they seem to be heading in the right direction. I think first of all they get Brew McCoy. Yeah, that was huge. Get him from USC to win that battle. They they you know it means nothing, but they they finished slightly above Texas A&M, one spot above Texas A&M in the recruiting rankings. And I I'll be the first to tell you that means nothing because the the difference between three and four or wherever they landed is negligible and. They're they're just sort of in a similar spot, so we'll see who develops the players better. But I just think it it's a it's something that they can sort of boast about, pound their chest about, and it builds on momentum. They've got it's all of a sudden a landing spot for these off field analysts. Yeah, David Beatty and Larry Fedora yeah. are now back in the lab <laughs> helping Tom Herman in the back end. Uh, I just think things are. They, it feels like they have hit sort of a critical mass, and they're, they've broken through this glass ceiling, this barrier that that, that Charlie Strong never could break through, and that, that Tom Herman didn't break through in year one. And it feels like they've they've they're kind of on the open road now. They're they're just sort of like dry, like they're 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 out of the city. They're driving, pedal to the metal, and they're just sort of windows down, breezing their hair. They're feeling good finally. Good on Texas, which you know is one of the revenue leaders annually, uh, to just just start copying Alabama, right? Like just good on you. That's if is that what you need to compete for championships? Then go do it. Then 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 go spend it. Like then then get all of the coaches who want to be able to do work but still have these buyouts, give them those jobs that allow them to accomplish both those cashing buyout checks and still getting work and doing football stuff. Um, I'm, I'm right there with you. I had Texas very positive. The arrival of McCoy, beefing up the support staff, investing even more heavily in, in turning Texas not just into a social event for your alumni, not just into a business that is a revenue generator, but into a program that's trying to win national championships. And I mean, do you remember there was the, it was the Steve Patterson era, right? The athletic director who wanted to basic, who ran the Texas athletic department, like it was a business. And as long as it was, you know, making money and, and the donors were, were getting the events that they wanted. Everything was all good. I think Tom Herman as an individual head coach is finally starting to assert his influence and be able to say like, no, if you, you got a little taste of what it, what it looks like. Um, let me tell you what, 
Let me tell you what we need to do next to take the next step. Texas is back. I don't know when they're going to win a national championship, but they're back here in the conversation. I think they're back here at least for some time. Love it. Yeah, I I, I think, um, you know, I, I and again, you know, getting these analysts isn't just about like someone letting you hire them. It's more about those guys can go anywhere because they're getting paid. Yes. They're getting, you know, they're already, they're, they're coaches. So it's about, are you attracting them? Like, are you, is that a place where coaches want to be? Um, yeah, what does it say so, about Tom Herman that these coaches want to go work with him? Exactly. Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a positive. So, um, so yeah, I, I just think Texas is, they're, they're finally ready to keep pace with Oklahoma. We've, we, we've, we've got some, we got some fun battles coming up. Plus you got your boy Sam Ellinger coming back and it's, uh, just things things just feel good in Austin right now finally uh we we are both very positively wired human beings which is probably why we've uh held off talking about USC Florida State and Virginia Tech (laughs) 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 I mean okay so Brew McCoy gone Cliff Kingsbury gone there is uh there, there are like sands that are falling through the hourglass. It seems for USC, one of my biggest losers of the off season. Not, I hate biggest loser. Uh, one of the net negatives on my scale at the very bottom. What, where the? It was the worst uh, recruiting rankings finish since two thousand one. They were at seventeen, I believe, if I had it, or twenty twenty one. Um, man, what? What do we do with the Trojans? Like, is this just going to be one long, sad grind? One long, mopey uh, saxophone solo until Clay Helton is dismissed midseason? Yeah, there, there's there's not a lot to be super excited about right now. I mean, look, they, the reality is they still have players. I mean, that's what I've been saying. They've got players on that roster. If they can just develop them and put them in a good position – they should be good, but it wasn't a good offseason. It was, you know, they lost Brew McCoy. They lost Cliff Kingsbury. They lost their strength and conditioning coach, which I actually think was probably not a bad thing, but he's off to the NFL. Um, they've, they had a bunch of transfers. Um, they did hire Graham Harrell, which I think probably is a good hire. I think that's probably a good coach. Um but this does this does feel like USC is just not back yet, and they're they're recruiting. They're I mean, as you would expect, their recruiting class wasn't that good by USC standards. So I don't know what you I don't know what you're if you're a USC fan. I, you know, I don't think there's a whole lot right now that's got you super gassed and, and, and super fired up. I think that there's a there's a thread where. Um, and, and Dennis Dodd, who I'm sure we'll check in with, uh, at some point here in the, in the month of March for sure. He, he wrote a story, uh, on the PAC 12 struggles on, you know, some of their ideas to, to close the financial gap in the per school payouts, which have included selling off 10% of the conference, uh, to a hedge fund or a venture capitalist, um, which is you know, fascinating, interesting, weird, and, and doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But USC, like USC's apparent, and this is apparent because you know I'm no Ryan Abraham. I'm not in Los Angeles. 
USC's apparent indifference to signs that the program is continuing to slide backwards falls in line with the Pac-12's apparent indifference to a decidedly downward cycle in football and basketball. And because those two things are aligned and because basketball's been so bad and because, you know, football is uh is is continuing to go without national championships since USC in 2004, uh continuing to be the conference that misses the college football playoff the most. The fact that USC's leadership did not take more significant action and seemed to bungle the Cliff Kingsbury situation so poorly. It just is uh it's it's not inspiring for USC. That is a if you are a diehard USC football fan, there's not a lot to hold your hat on right now. Hang your hat on right now. There's really not. I mean, the, uh, the only thing that's going to make it feel better is some wins. And I just, uh, you know, is the – and I don't know, like, other than Graham Harrell, I don't know that there's a whole lot of, like, coaching turnover on that staff that makes you feel like this is just going to be a game changer of an off – you know, of a of a 2019 season. So I think they got to they got to prove it and win before – lot of optimism in, in Southern California for that. Um, all right. So I had for Miami, I think, it, I think that while the reversal of, um, you know, oh my gosh, things are so bad after the, the loss to Wisconsin, the reversal from that to uh, hashtag TNM, the new Miami, Manny Diaz, and you know, going out there and killing it in the transfer portal, that a lot of ground was made up. But man, I'm Barton. I still on my scale, even with all the ground that was made up. I don't know if Miami is all the way to definitely positive for the off season. I think that really, yeah. Why? Because the first recruiting class was so bad that I think that we're still dealing with a team and a current roster that going into next season is not ready to compete for ACC championships. Yeah, but didn't you see that they had a um, a wrestling match in their first team meeting, a uh, WWF style uh, wrestling match? That doesn't that doesn't ex, that doesn't excite you about the positive energy. See, Miami was, Miami realized that its fan base is very prevalent on social media, and it's just going to keep feeding uh, that. But I I think that the roster, um, I think that while Manny Diaz is a perfect fit, and I think that Manny Diaz will lead Miami, I think that Manny Diaz will lead Miami to the ACC championship game. But I think that. The way that things went uh, at the end of the season, the bowl game, the first signing period, having to scramble. I just, I think that the damage that was done by the end of last season set Miami so far back that Miami, that Manny Diaz and the transfer portal and all that positive TNM, the new Miami energy, only got Miami back to like almost neutral shade negative. Yeah, but I, again, I, when I look at, I think that's that's really what Miami needed more than anything else. Like more than personnel injection, they needed just they just needed a fresh start and they needed positive energy. I think that was sort of if I'm if I am 
the Miami University president, if I am the if I am uh, uh, Uncle Luke from Two Live Crew, and I'm you know just sort of the ultimate Miami fan, and I'm just sort of saying going into the off season, and I'm saying, all right, what's the what is the off season goal? I, I'm I'm not saying a top five recruiting class. I'm not saying get a quarterback. I'm just saying get get things get a positive vibe around this program again. And I think that's that's what they have accomplished. Um, and doesn't hurt that they're they got Bubba Bolden uh, safety and um, the a really talented receiver out of uh, Buffalo and. Tate Martell at quarterback. We'll see if he's eligible. He's still waiting to waiver. Um, but I, I, you know, I, I think that it just feels like Miami is back on the back on the rails after uh, a pretty rough go of it this season. So maybe maybe we need to uh, split Miami's offseason up into chapters. Like there was chapter one that was horrendous, and then there was chapter two. Uh, which resolved everything and got it back, right? Because that's, yeah, I mean, if you all look at it like that, then yeah, yeah. But I, th- you know, I think that the, I mean, that's probably to me a positive that Rick is gone. Yeah, it, 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 we hit the ceiling real quick in the Mark Rick tenure. You know, Miami fans found out real quick what George's frustration was, um, and so I think it's. Well, Manny Diaz may be a complete failure, but uh, on the surface, at the beginning of this thing, it feels like Manny Diaz answers a lot of the misgivings, a lot of the concerns about just sort of where where this Miami program has been since. Like, let's be honest. I mean, it was it was Randy Shannon and Al Golden and Mark Rick and all good human beings, I'm sure. None of them bring any juice. Yeah. None of them bring any energy or excitement to a program that feeds off energy and excitement. Um, Manny Diaz is is embraces that role. Manny Diaz came up with the turnover chain. Like, <laughs> did you know that? Did you know that? <laughs> Have you heard about that? Uh, all right, I got three programs that I want to hit on left. What? Uh, where do you want to go? Um, uh, I would go, so trying to, let's see, I think, I think Auburn is a, that's a new, that's a neutral one for me, but I think it's, it's too sort of, that's a tough one to, to peg because I think it's a real positive that their whole defensive line stayed. Um, it's a positive the way they finished heading into this you know this this season i feel like auburn has a chance to be really good um they recruited pretty well but they totally whiffed on the quarterback transfer market which i i think a priority you know maybe it's not done yet who knows what happens from here on out but they they needed a starter out of the quarterback transfer market market didn't get one um all right well that's that's sort of balanced out by them getting a guy in Bo Nix that could be a starter as a true freshman. But how excited are you about a true freshman quarterback starter? Um, they also whiffed on the offensive coordinator market. Like they whiffed on Kendall Browse, they whiffed on Hugh Freeze. Um, they got Kenny Dillingham, who's a young, talented coach. But I think 
if that hire tells us that, you know, it's just Gus Malzahn's offense again, which, hey, you know, maybe that's not all bad. I don't know. But either way, there was a little bit of a, of, of offsetting forces with Auburn to where I can't tell whether I, I feel like it's a positive or a negative. It just sort of depends on, you know, w- w- what perspective you're coming from. But I think there's, there's something on both sides to, um, to point to for Auburn from a trajectory standpoint. And it wasn't a bad, I mean, they, they still finished with a good recruiting class, but um, who was the wide receiver that everybody thought was Auburn the whole way and went Georgia? George Pickens? Right, well, that's a perfect, that's a perfect microcosm. It's like they actually had a really good national signing day, but they also had the biggest loss of anybody on national signing day, which was George Pickens. That's right. was a two-year commit flipping to Georgia. Uh, and so it's sort of a microcosm of their offseason. Like, in some ways, it was a great offseason, yeah? but in some ways, it was disappointing. Auburn, just, yeah, Auburn's offseason is a big yeah. It's just Auburn football. <laughs> Auburn, Auburn football, yeah, but. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Yeah, but um, I, I, I agree with you. That's, that's about where I had uh, Auburn. I thought right below Oklahoma on my scale, I've got the Oregon Ducks. And I don't, I don't know if we this is this is the only knock the yeah but for Oregon is uh, I don't love uh, losing Jim Levitt and I don't love the reported uh, you know conflict that that may or may not have contributed to Jim Levitt uh, leaving the Oregon coaching staff and and I don't know if that had been something that had been brewing for a while I didn't know if you know how much truth there is to there being conflict even but. Jim Levitt, I view as a good defensive coach, one of the better defensive coordinators in major college football. I am willing to consider that as a as a potential reason that maybe all these other things might not be as great. But the energy that Mario Cristobal has brought to the recruiting trail for Oregon, um, you know, Oregon between with the Mark Helfrich era with Oregon on the recruiting trail was not fantastic, and they got a top ten class. They get Justin Herbert back. You know, USC's struggles and UCLA being really picky and choosy about who they're offering has made California just open season for Oregon and Washington. And so as Washington was really the has has asserted itself as the new perennial power in the Pac twelve, I think Oregon has done a good job to put itself in a position to make a run at that crown next season. So I, I thought Oregon had a fantastic offseason. Yeah, yeah, they they did. I mean, I think when you throw the recruiting class in there, when you throw Justin Herbert in there, it's it is no doubt. I mean, this is a this is a good off season. You know, that said, I, I think the, I mean, the Jim Lev, it's you know, who what's going to be their next step at um at defensive coordinator? Probably going to be an internal promotion would be my guess. Um, they've, you know, they their director of player personnel. And uh, they're a young star linebacker coach, Court Dennison, both bounced to Louisville. Uh, the director of personnel has since taken the tight ends coaching job at Miami. So, I mean, um, I, I think those were downgrades. I think, you know, I, though they, I mean, they, they hired a good linebackers coach from Washington State who's, who's a really good coach, though. And so I think there's, you know, there's a reason I think that that wasn't a, a huge loss, but I think Court Dennison's a star from a recruiting standpoint. Um, I think the Jim Levitt stuff, it seems like that's what Mario Cristobal wanted, was Jim Levitt out. 
And so in that sense, I guess he got what he wanted. But at the same time, how you know, are we more confident in an Oregon coach defense without Jim Levitt? Uh, not yet. I don't know. We'll see what the the answer is, but I, I not not right now. Um, so, yes, I do think it was a net positive. I think it was a I think it was a positive off season. Uh, I'm just a little bit tarnished by kind of feels like the that things aren't going exactly how they would like in the you know the, the over the last couple of weeks, but. Um, perhaps this is exactly what they needed uh, from a cohesion continuity standpoint and, and, and getting someone in there that's maybe all fully bought in um, to the Mario Cristobal tenure. Speaking of fully bought in, are you concerned that the attrition and the player, um, you know, the, the disgruntled players, the off-field issues at Virginia Tech – Justin Fuente's instant arrival led to 19 wins in the first two seasons, including an ACC Coastal title, and many, including myself, came out and said, uh, you know, you went from a Hall of Fame coach, Frank Beamer, you made the perfect hire, you did the perfect transition, gave the athletic director, Whit Babcock, all types of praise for the way that that was orchestrated. It seemed smooth. They were not only able to, you know, maintain success, but they were able to you know, even raise the level because things had slid back during Beamer's last few years. F- you know, flash forward not too long after. I mean, only three years after the hire, and, and Justin Fuente and the Hokies are having to reschedule uh, a washout game on the the Army Navy weekend or on the Conference Championship weekend just to be able to keep their bowl streak alive. Uh, you've got yeah. players leaving all over the place, and it has continued into the off season. Justin Fuente has come out with statements that are strong. He does. He is like many coaches are not a fan of the transfer portal. I, I, as I am, uh, I don't have any answers. I would say that it has been a negative off season for Virginia tech. And I'm curious to hear what you have to say in terms about, you know, how you diagnose this and where you think this might go, uh, for Fuente and the Hokies. Yeah, I need to dig in a little bit and make some calls or something and figure out what the deal is with the, some of these transfers. That was just odd to see. I mean, the quarterback. I mean, what? I don't, do you know why Josh Jackson transferred? Do we do we have a story on that? I mean, specifically. I mean, I I am under the impression that there is. Uh, I am under the impression that there has been all the way dating back to like last June or July, just a. Uh, a long string of, of nastiness or toxicity or, you know, th- there's just got to be something in there because if you did the coming out of spring practice 2018 depth chart, I think that, like, if you include transfers, almost every single starter from that, <laughs> like, not every single, but uh, you know, Adonis Alexander, remember, like, there was it started in the yeah. defensive backfield and then it was defensive starters and now it's getting all the way to, uh, quarterback Josh Jackson. I just, I think something's up. I think there's a funk uh, around yeah. there, and I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, and I mean, I don't know what maybe, it is. I mean, look, a lot of that was a lot of that was injury. Some of that was discipline and academics, um, and so some of that could maybe be attributed to just I don't know the roster Forte inherited to a certain degree and kind of cleaning things up, and it's taken time, and maybe this is the step back year. 
to, to sort of or this was the step back year to kind of fix all that. But this is I'm sure this the quarterback attrition is 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 not um, what what Justin Fuente or Virginia Tech wanted. And, and when when Justin Fuente got there, you know, with with uh, Andy Dalton and Paxton Lynch in his on his resume, like that was where everyone was confident is, all right, man, this guy's going to recruit and develop quarterbacks. Uh, and now he's got two out the door in one cycle, both of whom were guys we thought maybe were, were pretty good players. So, yeah, I mean, it didn't, I, I'm with you. It just doesn't feel, doesn't feel great right now. They need some good news. They need a good offseason. They need a good spring practice as much as anything um, to, to get healthy and get feeling good and get confident again. So, um, yeah, I, I just feel a little bit like I don't know what's going on there at Virginia Tech. It's just, it's just a weird deal to me. And for Fuente... I I wonder I wonder if there's like from the inheriting roster standpoint I wonder if the essentially this was the honeymoon's over period and everyone started like um you know all of Fuente's bad habits sort of became realized to a roster that he didn't recruit and some of the bad habits of the players that Fuente didn't uh pick for this program you know also started to to pop up and you know, we'll we'll see what the the future is of Bud Foster there too, and and the lingering members of the support staff, and and how there there is still an old guard within the Virginia Tech community, and like Frank Beamer very much being uh, a part of it, and still having a voice within that community. Uh, I think that they they don't need to do anything, but I think they have an opportunity to play an active role in fixing what has become a funk around Virginia Tech. But yeah. We'll see. Um, I also in the ACC, the it's just a the off season didn't iron out the in season for Florida State. No, it's 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 still it's still trending down. Yes, and they did, and and look, they did, they won the Kendall Brow sweepstakes, so that's a positive. But it feels it just I I don't know why that feels like less of a success. Then maybe it would have elsewhere because they've still got a, a a roster that's just sort of a mess. They're you know DeAndre Francois is gone after allegations of domestic abuse. He you know the Greg Fry their their offensive line coach is gone now. He's been sort of pushed out uh, presumably because Browse wants his guy and Fry's a I, from my perspective, a pretty good coach who was in year one and like, you can't fix an offensive line in year one. Um, and he's a Florida state alum. Um, you know, they, there was some more house cleaning on staff. Uh, they, you know, they lost their OC. They had a bad recruiting class. Just, uh, I don't know. Just still, still feels like we're in, we're, we're, we're trying to climb out of this hole we've dug a hundred percent i can't decide what the um i can't decide when we will see florida state competing for acc championships again but it feels like we're still at least two years out right yeah 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 at least at least right what are you in how about this what are you expecting on the field from florida state in 2019 
just and not necessarily a, a record or anything else just uh just sort of top glance first thing that comes to your mind i i expect an average team honestly um and i don't know i mean i i kind of hope for more i mean i i really want cam makers to be the cam makers that coming out of high school um I don't know whether that's going to take place, uh, but they certainly need, I mean, as much as anything, it was, and, and look, Landon Dickerson hit the transfer portal, a uh, starter quality kid who's had major injury issues, and then he came back from the transfer portal, um, and, you know, maybe they can just get that offensive line, maybe they, maybe now they got an offensive coordinator that's not as offensive line, you know, it doesn't need an offensive line, I guess. As a as as it doesn't lean on it quite as much as others, um, I don't know. I I but yes, I I think that we should expect average and hope for better. I the the combination of the bad offensive line and the arrival of Kendall Bryles for some reason. Uh, when I think about what Florida, because Florida State still's got some nasty wide receivers and Cam Akers is good. I kind of feel like I'm saying uh, my expectations for Florida State, not stylistically, but just in general, is like Texas Tech. Like Florida State can get somebody. I think Florida State, Florida State's good enough to be able uh, to beat probably almost anybody on their schedule. Maybe that includes Clemson. I'm not going to say that includes Clemson. But Florida State could beat Florida. Florida State could beat Miami. Florida State could win most of the games on its schedule. I don't think they will. I think Florida State probably finishes the season 7-5. and five. And being dangerous, but finishing 7-5, and five feels very Texas Tech to me. Yeah, that's that's a good... Uh, I mean, that's that's kind of sad if we're at Florida State and Texas Tech territory yes absolutely Florida, Florida, Florida State yeah they should be one of the one of the blue bloods we can count on um, um uh I that's uh, most everything that I had any uh anyone else you want to turn a spotlight to no I mean I think that's good there's there's a bunch of others you kind of pick around at but um I think for the most part we hit on the big ones and um you know spring spring class practice is a, is a palate cleanser We'll see. We'll see which of these can get a bad taste out of our mouths, and and which because no, nothing bad comes out of spring. So not <laughs> there's, spring is not going to derail a good, uh, you know, a positive off season, but it could at least get a negative one heading in the right direction. So we can revisit some of these later on. Make sure that uh, in order to get all the spring buzz delivered right to your mobile device, that you're subscribed to the Cover Three Podcast. Uh, we appreciate all the subscriptions, all the reviews, uh, all your ratings. Five stars, please, because we think that you're a five-star listener. You can follow Barton on Twitter, at Barton Simmons. You can follow me, at Chip underscore Patterson. Uh, we will be back with you next week for more. Barton, thank you very much. Deserve. <laughs>